0: Well, really, the, JFK in his prime.
1: I was going to say, how the, um, the handsome have fallen. I
0: was going to say, JFK, well, maybe that, 30 seconds before... Uh, before Bullet?
1: <laughs> I, I'm going to just take a hot take here. JFK wasn't that hot. People were just thirsty as fuck back in the 60s. I he mean, was yeah. more
2: attractive than his, than his Nixon, opponents.
1: makes Nixon looked like, like oh. a bag of potatoes <laughs> that you looked out in the sun too long. He was
2: starting to raise him. He was starting to raise him.
1: <laughs> he, to raise, he, he, he really was. He was a in the sun.
2: He was a sun-dried tomato.
1: T- I like that because he was a little, to me, he's a little red, in, a little the red in the face because he's
2: angry and yelling all the time.
1: Just like the pharmacist.
2: Wait, we're not talking about JFK <laughs> or Richard Nixon? What are we, what are, what's happening?
1: Hello, everyone. <laughs> Every
0: <laughs> time. Oh, you're still yeah, recording yeah, no, oh, yeah, this. Oh, oh
2: no, the I started, this started this a new one.
0: Is... Oh, God.
1: Welcome to <laughs> our first episode with you, Alex.
2: Oh dear, this is a day.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. As always, I'm Megan.
2: And I am Jason. And I am your special guest, Alex. Oh shit, you're here. What's up?
1: (laughs) So this month is my birth (laughs) month. It's April. I'm a Taurus. So Jason, let me pick all the topics for all the episodes this month. So I wanted to touch on some topics that put a magnifying glass to the issues that happened in the United States throughout history. I personally think the best way to stop these things from happening again is to educate everyone about it. I think we should all be able to be critical of our past to ensure our future is brighter. So all these episodes this month are moments in history that we should be ashamed of and are often hidden from our traditional narrative that I keep constantly talking about.
0: Fix yourself, Fix America. yourself,
1: America. So I asked Alex to come on and talk about something he's very passionate about,
0: Enron. And once again, I am your special guest, Alex. A little closer. I made uh, finger quotes around special, forgetting that this is actually a podcast and there is no video for which you listeners would be able to see that. So, as you may or may not know, I am the uh, third sibling to appear in this podcast in our family, older brother of Megan and Trevor, who is hey, on weird. here to <laughs> <laughs> talk about the lovely and depressing topic of the racial divide in early America.
1: And Cleopatra. Yeah,
0: yeah. I forgot about that one. And having listened to... <laughs> All right. And having listened to some of the other episodes of this cheerful and heartwarming podcast, I can proudly say... <laughs>
1: I just think Durville uh, and I think like Rwanda and I think like Chernobyl and like Jason has the fun episodes. I have the fucking depressing ones.
2: You do that to yourself.
1: I know but I need we need you're, to talk cause about cause that. Because you're
2: interested in the depressing ones. I'm not interested in the depressing because it's like I don't want to get dragged down by that emotional feeling. But
1: as I stated in my first paragraph we have to talk about the bad things in history that we should be ashamed of in order to educate ourselves and make sure they don't happen again. I'm not yeah, you're, you're just wrong.
0: Yeah, but you only depression. No,
1: I did, I did Vincent van Gogh, which I think was pretty funny. Ah,
2: uh, yes. Vincent van Gogh fuckers.
1: And I did Martin he, he That was fun. Was that was, really I enjoyed funny.
0: that. So you know what? Screw you guys. Anyway, I can proudly say I'm going to be talk, uh, taking a look at another very happy and positive event in American business history. And yes, I know business is boring, but we're going to talk about Enron today. Whoa. Now, quick mention, I do have a master's in business with a, foc- uh, a focus in business administration and business ethics. Nerd. Also, mm-hmm. at the time of writing, but not at the time of production, I was a corporate cog in the machine, and I have some relevant experience in the field. But now he's free. Free. Free, free fun. fun. Are we getting <laughs> a copyright time? strike for this? No. Possibly. Uh, Probably like not. Seconds. Yeah, we'll see. We, we sang off key <laughs> and off beat. And badly in general. (laughs) Story of my life. Anyway. uh, So if I had to guess, the majority of the listener base has heard mentions of Enron in the past. It even made a brief appearance in The Simpsons, believe it or not. Did it
1: really? That makes sense. The Simpsons
0: know everything. It was uh, The Simpsons' uh, Enron depression ride, where it was a sharp climb followed by a really bad fall, and then everyone left depressed. Uh, Anyway.
2: Um, that's, a, that's a mood.
0: <laughs> so everyone's heard mentions of Enron in the past, but it all started before we were born. S- probably. I can't say that there isn't some 50-something history or uh, teacher listening to this. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to go over the highlights of Enron's history as a company and, spoiler alert, what led to its meteoric fall. Oh, no. And in full honesty, this is going to contain some very technical language. So I'm going to do my best to explain it so that anyone listening can understand it. But if I get too technical, I'm sure Megan and Jason will rope me into line. And if not, yell at them. Uh, on yeah. Twitter,
1: please follow us on Twitter at FastPass1. I need <laughs> I need validation.
2: Yeah, Alex is here to talk to you about the technical stuff. And me and Megan are here to dumb it down. <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> I would like to preface this with the following warning as well. FastPass is not the best place for discussion on Enron. Wow. As there is so much that went on over the years that I cannot even begin to cover it all. As such, I will be merely highlighting what I find to be the major points and the most egregious ethical and legal violations in Enron's history.
2: Oh, shit. <laughs> no
0: lie, there is enough context and content here to fuel a solid college course, and I'm talking, like, master's or PhD-level course oh, dear. on accounting and ethics, so forgive me for my Cliff Notes-style rendition of the scandal. Hell yeah,
2: Cliff Notes.
1: More like Shmoop. Shmoop is a better one. Shmoop? Shmoop. You never had You ever use Shmoop? Shmoop single-handedly got me my degree. Shmoop? Shmoop.
2: Cliff Notes and spark notes.
1: Spark notes is for little bitches,
0: okay? Oh well,
2: fuck you too. That's how I got through high school <laughs> before I found out about Shmoop.
1: Swoop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Enron was an energy company based in Houston, Texas, founded in 1985. Originally, Enron was founded to sell energy, like your average electric company like Pacific Gas and Electricity, PG&E, PSE&G, etc., etc., etc. Now, uh, they quickly transitioned into a commodities trader in the year 1989. Okay. Not going to lie, commodities trading is really complex, but I'm going to try and boil it down a lot. A Commodity is anything tangible that people want, like food, water, energy, whatever. Okay. What commodity traders and trading companies do is they essentially buy and sell bulk volumes of these commodities okay. by essentially making educated guesses as to the future values of certain products, using the knowledge of scarcity of the product, expected demand, political situations in the areas it's produced and sold, etc. So it's gambling.
2: But on a much larger scale. It
0: is educated gambling. (laughs) For example, let's look at the coronavirus commodity of choice, toilet paper. (laughs) Now, before corona decided to rear its ugly RNA, uh, toilet paper was, for example, say about $4 for a four pack or maybe a dollar a roll. Okay. Now, if I had heard about this bizarre little illness going around Wuhan, China, and I had the galaxy brain necessary to say, hey, this is probably going to become a pandemic in a few months, I might begin stockpiling toilet paper Mm -hmm. and other essentials. So, when the chaos broke out, the price of toilet paper on the secondary market, meaning black market, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, skyrockets due to short supply and overwhelming demand. So, scalping.
2: Like uh, the dude who bought like all the Purell and is trying to sell it at an unnecessarily high value.
0: Yes and no. It is kind of like scalping, except we sell it from the producers to the retailers. So, it's a middleman. It's a middleman thing. Gotcha. Got it. So this would mean that our commodity, that being toilet paper, is in extreme demand, making our value grow exponentially. And then when we would want to leverage our supply and sell our hoard to retailers, we could get a better price. Now, this admittedly doesn't work out well when the commodity has a relatively fixed price like toilet paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when it's being sold in stores and people are clawing at pallets for the thing, it still has a consistent price. Uh So it
2: shouldn't really go much over like $2 or something like that? Exactly.
0: But this works for something a lot more variable like oil.
2: Mm.
0: and it makes more sense in that context yeah so this is a very involved process and is again essentially gambling with better again air quotes because i forget how podcasts work odds but there is a lot of money to be made in this market so businesses that trade commodities exist to fill that niche make that money woohoo business business (laughs) now i should state that energy trading is a bit different but the same basic principles apply Trust me, Enron wasn't the first to do this, and definitely will not be the last. Fuck
1: that. We love capitalism.
0: Yeah. So, the beginning of Enron's rise came in the following year, 1990, when a man by the name of Jeffrey Skilling was I don't h- trust him. <laughs> Why?
2: Jeffrey's- Jeffrey Skilling. If you move the S from his last name, it's Jeffrey's Killing. Dude, sketchy. Don't trust him.
0: <laughs> well, sadly, Enron did. And that's what <laughs> helped cause their demise. Uh, Jeffrey Skilling was hired to head a new business, Enron's Finance Corporation. This is a subsection of Enron, like a baby company following around the big papa Enron.
1: Oh, look at the baby Enron go.
0: Oh, look at that. He's going to destabilize the market. (laughs) (laughs) And though the the governor's destabilized the market, Enron just exploited that fact. (laughs) Early on in his career, Skilling introduced a new accounting method to Enron called mark-to-market accounting, which is interesting to say the least and more than a little confusing, and in the surprisingly active field of debate amongst economists. Okay.
2: Please explain.
0: I What? Okay. So basically, one of the more commonly accepted forms of accounting is called historical cost accounting. Okay. Meaning that the value of a good you have is worth whatever you paid for it. Okay. So say I buy one kilogram of gold from Jason for $1,000, and yes... You Imperial-loving bastards. I said kilogram (laughs) because imperial system should die. (laughs) That's a hot take. (laughs) Hot take. Hot take. Then at the end of the fiscal year, when I go to calculate profits, losses, and assets, Mm -hmm. I mark down that I have $1,000 in assets in the form of the kilo of gold I bought from Jason. That makes sense. Okay. Well, it does if you assume that stuff you buy retains its value indefinitely, which it never does. Since the world relies on the rules of supply and demand, prices fluctuate. So if I live in a town that has only one gas station and the next gas station isn't for 50 miles, I have the supply and the other nearby towns form the demand. Since I have no competition and it takes a lot of time and gas to drive 50 miles, I can essentially charge as much as I want within reason, and people will have to pay for it. Mm. This is mm. why monopolies were banned, um, <laughs> because they do this. Quote-unquote banned, yeah, well, but that's still happening. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, uh,
2: this is a time.
0: the same goes for the lump of gold that jason sold me okay at the time assuming jason was charging me market prices for the gold and not just being an extortionist or really really good friend depending on the price the price from day to day will go up or down so say the mine that the bulk of the world's gold comes from catches fire and they have to close it down the supply will drop but demand will remain fairly constant Mm -hmm. this drives my the price of my chunk of gold up now say some Other company strikes it rich like an old-timey prospector in California and uncovers a massive quantity of gold. Demand again stays constant, but the supply will go up, forcing my price per kilo of gold down. So this leads us to -to mark-to-market accounting. MTM, as I'm going to call it, because mark-to-market is really long. Uh, and it says that the value of our assets fluctuate over time to sometimes massive degrees. I
1: just want to say here that I'm reading off the script and MTM looked like MTA. And I was like, God damn it. The fucking Metro is doing it again. It's God because they me. didn't
0: sterilize the poles. It's
1: be- bro. The, bro, <laughs> the fact that you can go however many years in New York. I lived there for six months. I never saw one person in there with a squeegee or a spray bottle or a Clorox or anything. The I mean, best then- you'll
2: see is someone with a mop bucket down there. And it's like they're not rats. even... <laughs> It's either that or they're just cleaning the bathroom. Nothing else.
0: And even then, they're doing a it's shit like job. It's like 100 years huh.
1: of grime on uh. these things. Uh, uh. Also,
0: to be fair, you know, they're not going to clean it while people are on the train. They'll wait until the beginning or end of day.
1: Alex, let's well, be real. I'm just saying, do that if that, that would
0: happen, it would be then. Anyway, if, back on to MTM. So MTM. So in the case of the mine fi- fire causing prices to spike, my net worth jumps from 1,000 to about 5,000. Okay. So even though my total gold hasn't changed the value has. Uh So that if that prospector strikes it rich, my net worth plummets to $100 due to the increase in supply. Okay. This method has its detractors and its supporters because historical accounting and MTM both make sense, but they both have their downsides. You might be surprised to hear that MTM is still legitimate and a widely used practice. But back in the days of... The pre-Enron scandal And the pre-2008 housing crisis There was a lot less regulation surrounding it So Skilling was able to manipulate the method To overestimate the value of Enron's assets Eventually to absolutely massive extents This is due to the fact that assets are booked Not by their actual cost Meaning what you pay for them But on fair value Because Mm -hmm. fair value is hard to pin down And it changes on a second-to-second Or minute-to-minute basis As we described with the mines Mm. Now they get to record their estimated or quote fair value profits as their profits. Hold
2: on. So you're not recording like the actual amount, but it's like, oh yeah, we kind of, it's like, it's around here. It's like anywhere between five and $10. You just throw at
1: eh, 10. So let's say my ass, 10 the,
2: the high end. We're just going to go with that.
1: So let's say I go on a shark tank, right? I make this great product and um, I'm like, well, fair value. I probably am going to make $50 million. And like, how much are you going to make? And I'm like, 50 million dollars yo and they're like oh really they want to invest in me rather than if i'm like i actually made 200 dollars."
0: yeah so mark to market accounting is a little bit different nowadays that there's like um now that there's all sorts of regulations concerning it but initially you're not wrong with what they said say i went on to shark tank and megan's one of our sharks
1: mm-hmm. i
0: would pitch them my company they would ask me my value and i say well i just did a deal with Shoprite to put all of my food stuffs in there and that deal has an estimated value of say 50 million dollars over the span of 10 years. Okay. So I could record 5 million dollars per year. And so they would ask how much business I had 5 million plus whatever. Even if that deal falls through tomorrow, I still would mark it as 5 million dollars in profit for my company. So now that we have that kind of rough basis on MTM down, what's Tark Let's talk <laughs> <Let's tar-tark. laughs> <Let's tar-tark. laughs> well, about how Skilling was a uh, bastard. Anyway. Whoa, St. Patty's Day is over. Let it go. I mean, we never really had St. Patty's Day thanks because to Corona. Because of Corona. Uh, Topical. Anyway, uh, so with Skilling in charge, some of Enron's business, he began implementing some absolutely lovely practices. The most notable being, quote, rank and yank. Mm, <laughs> yes, I know sounds... it sounds lewd. Quite (laughs) lewd. Lewd. Anyway, so Skilling believed that a company could be run on Darwinian practices. That meant that, like a boiled down, really basic interpretation of Charles Darwin's evolutionary theory, only the strongest traders should survive because they were best adapted to their surroundings. He killed his employees. (laughs) (laughs) You you warned us. It was the Skilling. The killing. (laughs) Oh, bring it back. No, um, what actually happened was Skilling created a ranking committee for the traders Mm -hmm. under his control. If you ranked low enough, low enough being anywhere in the bottom 15% of the entire company, you would be fired and swiftly replaced by a <laughs> wide-eyed recruit.
1: Imagine
2: Job <laughs> security, non-existent. Imagine
1: you were like, I'm doing good, and then you get the thing and you're like number 15, you're like, oh no, and you're like, goodbye. goodbye. How <laughs> perish. It's like, I was right on the
0: line. Be gone, thought. Begone. There is absolutely no job security at Enron Underskilling. Now, if you worked for the parent company instead of like Enron Corporate Finance or whatever it's called, It's a lot better. Oh, so this
1: is still in the baby Enron. This This is is still in the baby Enron. He hasn't
0: ascended to power. (laughs) The baby is a dick. Like most babies are. Anyway, hot (laughs) takes. Uh,
1: (laughs) Hot takes on Fast Pass.
0: This causes two issues. One is that the workplace is often hostile and incredibly competitive. And the other is it's a breeding ground for amoral behavior. Oh, yeah. The traders' rank was based on how much money they secured from their trades. So, in a logical system, it dictates that those that could read the market could get ahead and earn their place through merit. But since everyone wanted to keep their job, they decided to start making insider deals or use shady tactics to keep their place. For example, look to Lu Pai, uh, the former CEO of Enron Energy Services, a Ooh. different child company.
2: That, uh, hold on. This man is sketchy for two reasons. One, jeep Pai
1: not related no relation no relation
2: we already looked it up second one lupi wolf he's a werewolf
0: it's lupi not lupine
2: damn it okay
1: i didn't even realize that was a cool
0: (laughs) also isn't lupine rabbit
1: isn't it lupin? oh wait no that's a harry potter character
0: (laughs) who was a werewolf (laughs) full circle all right (laughs) all right we've come full circle Whatever. Uh, <laughs> one day, <laughs> Pi chose to cash in his stock options and resigned from the company. All in all, Pi walked away with $250 million, Dick. even though his division lost about $1 billion, and then Enron promptly covered that all.
1: And this is, the, this is the same guy that owns like half of Colorado, right?
0: He is the second largest landowner in Colorado because he took that $250 million and bought a large, large ranch.
1: He also loved them strippers.
0: He, he did. He, he had got a, a secondary bunny ranch. Legitimately, he had a problem where he would take investors' money and blow it at strip clubs
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good that he left
0: Yeah So now let's talk about the dot-com bubble Because trust me, this does play in Tenron. Oh, Back God. in the late 90s, the internet was beginning to exist Though not in the way we know it today And a large number of companies began to invest heavily in internet-related companies And very heavily in tech, especially those with the dot-com name Like Yahoo and Google Okay This caused tech stocks to soar. soar. Sure. Yes, this caused them to soar in the short term. There's only one major issue. How do you make money in early internet years?
1: (laughs) I would like to Uh, know that.
0: Well, in modern day, you make it through advertisements, but Mm. no one's going to pay for ads in an unproven market. So the short answer is you really don't. A lot of companies operated on a subscription model, a la Netflix. Mm. The problem is that there were a lot of companies competing in the same field, and since the tech was new, there wasn't a whole lot to set these companies apart.
2: Okay.
0: So companies started trying to one-up each other by offering free trials of their services or deep discounts in an effort to raise brand awareness, Mm -hmm. worrying about how to monetize their services later once they had an audience. The problem is you kind of need money to continue existing Mm -hmm. in order to grow a client base, and as a result, a lot of these early dot-com companies died out and took investor money with them. Uh, this caused the dot-com bubble to pop and left a lot of individual investors out of a lot of money over, and I shit you not, $5 trillion adjusted for inflation by the end of the crisis in 2002. Fuck
1: do you, off. Do you <laughs> realize that the relief bill for corona was estimated at $2 trillion? You could have literally two and a half corona relief bills for this, or what like three student loan debts and then some and then some that's, that's that's fucking wild
2: and this is in 2002 it's five trillion
0: yes fuck off so how does this tie into our lovely amoral mega corporation the answer is primarily through blockbuster no, <laughs> no. <laughs> apparently these two had a very very strong connection with the folks at blockbuster
2: Uh, It's more nostalgia than anything.
0: Oh, I hear you. Yes, I am referring to the now-defunct video rental chain whose ghost still occasionally crops up on the internet, like here. (laughs) Enron, during the height of the bubble, made a deal with Blockbuster to offer an online video streaming service using their considerable clout and supply in the movie field to work it out. This would have been like an extremely... Alpha version of Netflix? Alpha. Alpha. Gym Alpha-ish. rat, brother. brother. Like, I'm talking, like, if you wanted to watch movies, you'd be doing it on a DOS prompt, for those of you knowledgeable about tech. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, when, like, if you go into your command thing in your computer and you see, like, the black screen with white text, that's what it would be about equivalent of. Oh, shit. LOL. And we're going to watch, like, I don't know, Ghost on that. Anyway, so uh, there was only one big problem with this deal. The tech wasn't there yet. I mean, we see Disney Plus even having problems nowadays. So uh, Enron couldn't have set up the infrastructure necessary to do any part of this. But regardless, they signed a massive 20 year deal with Blockbuster, which at the time of signing would be about now when the deal was over.
1: Oh, we're Blockbuster.
0: With an estimated profit margin of roughly $100 million should it come to fruition. Back then. Back then. Goddamn. Problem is it didn't. The service never came to be, and the agreement fell apart in the span of just three months.
2: Sign up for a 20-year deal. Three months later, it's all gone.
0: Sounds like my marriage. um, (laughs) I should state that I am not married. I just wanted to make a joke.
2: It it worked.
0: However, thanks to that lovely mark-to-market accounting, they could simply say that the estimated value of the deal was $100 million, write that off as profit, and ignore the fact that the deal actually lost them both a lot of money in the long run. And God yes, damn. I'm saying that inadvertently Enron killed Blockbuster, so you can yell at them. You fucking
1: bastard. We're cancelling Enron.
0: They're, they're already cancelled.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, they're Spoiler canceled. alert.
0: Chapter 11, come on, man.
1: Spoilers, but they're cancelled here too. Fast pass cancelled. Boom.
0: <laughs> but that's not <laughs> it for Enron Exploiting the dot-com bubble. Has anyone heard of the classic pump-and-dump scheme? Um. Aside from a, describing a very poor way to run your dating life, it's a very illegal maneuver. let it go anyway (laughs) (laughs) um basically it's a a maneuver where someone encourages the buying of stocks in a particular company to increase or pump its value per share before selling it off or dumping their considerable shares in a company
2: okay i got that um that's like uh when we were playing uh jackbox jackbox the game idiots yeah you would like you know the value of the piece of art Even if it's like $500, you keep pushing it up and pushing it up. Exactly. Because somebody else thinks, oh, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to pay even more for it and just edge him out. But it's like,
0: you're just raising
2: the price, even though it's worth nothing.
0: Exactly. And so the mass sale of all of those stocks, the dump, makes the schemer a quick buck, but then triggers the stocks to drop in value significantly because everybody goes, oh my God, why is everybody selling off these stocks? Something must be wrong with the company. Mm -hmm. And then the stock price tanks. Hmm. This cost ah. the investors who came in During the pump phase to lose money Well believe it or not Enron would do this to themselves In order to earn those at the top Several millions of dollars before cashing In their stock options to replenish their shares At a lower cost So essentially what Enron would do was they would say Hey guys you should invest in Enron Look at how good we're doing And then when everybody came in and bought up the shares Stock price would raise say $10 a share Then they'd sell off 3,000 shares And uh and they would make a quick fifteen thousand dollars. Goddamn. Then, when stock prices tanked, they'd buy up all those shares that just got sold off. And congratulations, they made fifteen thousand dollars with no effort. Goddamn. Yeah. So um, that's 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 kind of how the pump and dump works. So is that,
1: is that illegal or is that legal?
0: Oh, that's incredibly illegal, and it was illegal even before Enron. They just somehow got away with it. I have no idea what's happening. I guess mm.
1: so. Like when when they went back to, like, uh, indict these people, it couldn't be like, hey, you pumped and dumped,
0: bitch. No, nope, because statute of limitations exists. Wow. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, Enron was running a massive PR campaign in order to portray themselves as the proper, popular, profitable company that they saw themselves as, to the further outside investors draw them in to get them to buy shares and throw suspicion off that the company wasn't doing as well and... Becoming the glowing beacon of prosperity they thought they were. Liars. Exactly. So the next criminal we're going to be discussing in this organization was the CFO, or Chief Financial Officer, Andrew Fastow. So Fastow operated a vast network of shell companies for the purpose of benefiting Enron. Shell companies are essentially entities that only exist on paper. They have no offices, few employees, and are usually used to launder, hide, or create funding for a parent organization. Now, shell companies are usually used uh, for illegal ventures like mafias, or <laughs> uh, assassins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh wow! Oh but damn! This time, they're used for Enron. <laughs> In this Enron, case, Enron,
2: the real assassin, <laughs> killing Blockbuster. Yeah. Fastow
0: created these shell companies to buy Enron's debt which makes Enron look better Mm. and in order to secure funding from major investors to funnel back into the company.
2: So the debt existed in companies that didn't exist just to make the main company look better.
1: Exactly. And so people would invest in the shell companies?
0: No they didn't need to invest in the shell companies they needed to invest in Enron. So how the shell
2: companies were used as like a hey these people believe in us. So oh. you should believe in us. Oh, no, understand.
0: they were saying, hey, look at our books. Look at how little debt we have, because we definitely didn't hide it under all oh. of these shell companies. You oh. should buy into us. Understood. Now, I'm not saying that some other people didn't get some extra money off of this through various illegal means, but basically these shell companies would buy a portion of Enron's debt, then Fastow would make a contact with a major investment firm like Bank of America or JP Morgan and convince them to invest in the shell, which he claimed was backed by Enron itself, because why else would they let them buy some of their debt? Then he would funnel most of the money back into Enron while taking a cut for himself, pocketing millions using these shell companies. And in case you thought that Fastow was acting by himself for the good of the company uh during the fallen investigation was performed, and it showed that Fastow had express permission from Enron's accountants and corporate board. So they knew what he was doing.
1: So, skilling. Skilling. Was making a skilling. <laughs> thank you, thank you. He was
2: taking a little slice off the top.
1: And uh, he was like, cool, do this, bitch.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Damn.
1: Skilling, you're canceled.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so while this was all going on, we get to talk about Enron's biggest scam of all, the one that started the ball rolling on the company's demise, the state of California. Hey! Yeah, to they put it they, they go from
2: Texas to California, <laughs> so and it's like Texas? the entire state of California. They're, they're centered California. in Texas, centered in Texas, and they f- fucked all over of California. California.
0: Yes. but they have
1: an office in New York. What? They have an office in New York. Enron.
0: I think so. I think they used to. They
1: used to. Well, yeah, that's where like the. Um, near wall street right
0: i think so yeah yeah they were everywhere so to be fair but they were headquartered they fucked in texas over texas and they fucked over california okay. got it so to put it politely a single company dicked over all residents of an entire state now how do you fuck an entire state so hard that they have to enforce laws to prevent them from ever being violated like this again you mess with their electricity in the dead of summer Yikes. dick move yeah so in 1996 the californian governor A man by the name of Pete Wilson decided it would be a great idea to partially deregulate the electricity industry in California. Yikes. Now, what on paper this means is that the government of California is going to avoid interfering with free markets and saying what a company can and cannot price power at. The idea was to allow competition and hoping that this drove prices down. Hoping. Hoping. Now, there's two big problems (laughs) preventing the hope from becoming the reality. Okay. One is power isn't exactly like a hamburger You can't just drive down to any old store Get a better priced one if you want it Due to how the power grids are built It's a costly and time consuming process to change power companies Assuming that you even have more than one that operates in your area mm. Number two, companies are greedy some companies. Yes. <laughs> no yeah, shit. I know. What a surprise. It's not like we're talking about one. Anyway, some companies, like telephone companies, will basically mark off sections of the country and build sort of zones where they're the only ones that are allowed to operate.
2: Yeah. Uh, like my friend Sam, he has, uh, like, I think he only has one, maybe two, like, internet providers in his area, and both of them blow. For completely different reasons.
0: Yeah, if you live in a rural area, you're super fucked. Because if you live in a major metropolitan area, you'll have a bunch of different providers, no problem. However, if you live in a rural area, you'll have maybe one, two if you're lucky. And both of them will suck, as Jason has said. Mm. So basically, by zoning out companies like this, you can create a local monopoly. And companies can charge what they will. On paper, deregulating a market sounds good, but if you actually do it, it creates the U.S. healthcare system, where life-saving drugs can be scalped to us for, I have 500 times our normal value. I'm looking at you, insulin.
1: You are canceled via FastPass. Fuck Also, you, screw
2: you, pharma bro.
1: Yes. Which, big pharma. Oh, yeah. We're fucking canceling big pharma, too.
2: Oh, I was talking about, like, wasn't it the dude who bought, like, the, the AIDS medicine and then just yeah. yeeted the price was into the abyss? Was he the, the same
0: guy
1: with the insulin? Or no, was different? No, no, no.
0: He sold, uh, it was, it was an HIV medicine medication. Yeah, uh, and then he
2: just yeeted that from like $35 to like
0: $500. 500 and that's
2: what like
1: this the guy who thing. made the insulin, the company made the insulin. Two different guys. To this. But he did the same thing, right? So,
0: yeah, something similar where they just keep on jacking up insulin prices. That's right. why states yeah. have started putting in price caps now. Yeah. Anyway, ignoring uh, Big Pharma being canceled, when Wilson passed the bill, exactly what you might expect happened happened. Enron and some other smaller, powerful companies stepped in. Now, I want to throw this out there again. There are other companies that are responsible. Enron is just A, the topic of our conversation today, and B, the biggest dick in this company. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, for all you people out there that don't understand how a power grid works, let me inform you, because I think we're on explanation number six today. At least in the context of this crisis, an energy grid is created to handle a certain demand for power, usually well in excess of what peak demand is, to prevent overloads in the system and blackouts. Okay. California at the time had recently undergone power upgrades to increase the total load it could handle at any one time to 45 gigawatts. Okay. It should be stated that the total peak at that time was somewhere around 28 gigawatts. Basically, a power plant, usually nuclear or coal plant in that area, would produce power, and whatever energy isn't sent out to the people using it is stored elsewhere in the grid, usually at power waste stations, until demand is needed, or for when times when the power plants can't be in operation during, say, scheduled maintenance.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, California had... Adequately prepared for the summers of 2000 and 2001 accordingly, ensuring power plants were up to meeting the demand and ensuring that the grids could handle the draw. And then Enron and some other smaller players stepped in.
2: Yeah, because you said that they had about, like, the total load could be 45 gigawatts. Yep. But the peak was, like, 28. So, yeah, they had plenty of wiggle room. Oh, yeah.
0: So, as energy traders, what they would basically do is they would create artificial scarcity. Enron traders would call up plants during peak hours and ask them to take the reactors offline to create a scarcity of power. Mm. While this happened, Enron would sell electricity at a premium to the concerned people of California, often at stupid markups of up to 20 times the normal price. Yeah. Mm. Now, how do we know Enron was doing this? Well, to be honest, you'd have to be stupid to believe that all these plants would go down for, quote, routine maintenance at the same times during peak hours on a routine basis. If you don't believe common sense, I can do you one better. We have audio recordings from Enron traders asking power plants to shut down for, quote, maintenance or something. Just make up an excuse, all the while, while laughing about it in the background to their coworkers. I should note that, yes, it would suck not being able to run your computer or having lights on in the house. The big health concern was the heat. This is California we're talking about, in the dead of summer, and the cities had to deal with rolling blackouts and severe power cuts, all the while dealing with straight-up extortion from Enron. All in all, the scandal caused tighter regulations in California and the rest of the U.S. as a whole. After the citizens of the state got taken for 40 to 45 billion dollars, not wow. adjusted for inflation, oh, and Enron mm. mostly pocketed that money.
2: Damn.
1: Can we get a can we get a calculation of what that is in today's standards? Jim? Yeah,
2: from 2000 to 2020, uh, accounting for inflation, that's 67 and a half billion dollars in oh, today's
0: shit. standards. Yeah, from the entire state. (laughs) From the entire state. Did they ever get this money back? Oh, no.
1: So they just got...
0: Enron just pocketed the money and got away with it, for the most part. What the fuck? Now, there was one good thing that came out of this. Mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger got elected governor of California. Hey. Because he was campaigning under strict investigations into this crisis and wanted resolution.
1: And And he he did. Yeah, he did get that?
0: Yeah, uh, eventually laws were reinstated that re-regulated the electricity industry. Thank you, Arnold.
1: Thank
0: you. Yeah, I know. I never would have thought that he would, uh, you know, do that, but cool. So how did this corrupted empire crumble? Believe it or not, it's because Enron was doing well. How does that work? (laughs) Yeah, so Enron was one of the few companies that survived the dot-com bubble beginning to burst in the early part of 2000s, and it was thriving. Consider the dot-com bubble a punch in the gut for most companies from a financial perspective. While other companies were catching their breath and recovering from the blow, Enron was already back on its feet and climbing in value. Mm. To claim that Enron was a titan of the industry was spot on. From all outside perspectives, it was a financial juggernaut. There was they were the most recommended stock to purchase from any stockbroker at the time. At its peak, Enron's stock was pushing $97.50, and that was positively unheard of in that day and age. Jesus. So how does this facade begin to crumble? simple the answer is fortune magazine a magazine (laughs) yes a fortune writer named bethany McLean began digging after she noticed how bizarre some of these financial statements and stock price reports on enron were enron denounced McLean, claiming that this was a smear campaign and purposely negative as a form of yield clickbait because another rival magazine had put out a positive piece on enron and while this worked as a counter narrative for a while it wouldn't hold for long Soon, Enron's involvement in the California electricity crisis would be revealed. The recording of the phone calls from Enron (laughs) traders to the power plants were played. Obviously, that's, you know, real great. Incriminating. Yeah, it showed how much the traders seemed to enjoy the havoc that they were causing. Uh, As a side note, Enron used the Milgram experiment as a defense to this, and it's a shitty, shitty defense. So, What is the Milgram experiment? So, the Milgram experiment was a psychology experiment that got human testing banned for all of psychology. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what they would basically do was there were three people involved, a scientist, one of the participants, and then a person in another room that they could not see but could hear. Now, the person in the room with the scientist was the actual subject. The scientist was an actor, and the person in the room hidden away was an actor. Now, the inf- <laughs> the participants were told they were going to be conducting an experiment on memory. And what they would basically do was they would quiz the person inside the room. And if they didn't remember something correctly, they would get a small shock. You know, something akin to static electricity or something, maybe like an unpleasant zap from touching an outlet or something like Mm. that. The problem was that the more times they got things wrong, the more the power zaps escalated, eventually to lethal amounts of electricity.
2: Mm.
0: Now, these people could not see the participant. They could simply hear them. So occasionally they'd be shouting ouch when they got zapped, eventually increasing in magnitude as these shocks reached near-lethal levels. Here's the thing. These people, the participants, would continue pressing the buttons for lethal shocks, just because the scientist put a hand on their shoulder and said, it's for the good of the experiment, they know what they signed up for, etc. Even as the person in the other room is screaming bloody murder, claiming that they think they're having a heart attack, they think they're not, they're going to die, etc., etc. And these people just keep on pushing the buttons. This experiment was originally done to kind of explain Nazi Germany and how they could do such atrocious things and just go, oh, we were just following orders. It turns out that humans really seem to trust authority, and when authority says, you do this, they say, okay, as long as you say I can. Jesus. And so that's what essentially the traders were doing. Our bosses wanted us to make money off of California, so we did it. Like, what are you looking at us for? Mm.
1: Okay.
0: So now let's talk about Jeffrey Skilling. Yes. Funky who made us Skilling. <laughs> yes, who made us Skilling. <laughs> who had at this point become the CEO of Enron, the parent company, not just the children. Mm. And he blamed the whole power crisis on California and on their lax laws and argued that Enron had done nothing wrong and that, quote, we are the good guys here. We're on the side of the angels. Screw you. You're
2: sketchy. If, <laughs> if you say we are on the side of the angels, you are immediately suspicious and I don't trust you.
0: Yeah. So this obviously Catholic <laughs> church. oh boy i wasn't expecting to cancel the catholic church in this video I Eh, we've done it before a few
1: times because they're fucking sketchy and they're not the last time they're going to get canceled because they like to profit off of
0: all sorts of stuff
1: horrible things and just hide other things so yeah
0: so obviously this quote didn't hold up under scrutiny and even less so when it was discovered that skilling's predecessor kenneth lay had been pushing california to deregulate its energy market for years for pretty much precisely this reason kenneth
2: lay kenneth lay off He's going to fire people? I don't trust him.
0: Anyway, so Enron's heads began to deteriorate as their books came under further scrutiny. Skilling begins to act irrationally, even calling one investor a, quote, asshole, when he asked Mm. why Enron wasn't as transparent as others when it came to their bookkeeping. Abruptly, Skilling resigns in August of 2001, and Kenneth Lay steps back in as CEO. Now, investors began to question Enron due to these odd goings on concerning their executives, and this causes the beginning of the fall of Enron's stock value. So we've already reached the peak, that 97.50 I mentioned before, and now we're starting to go down. Now, shortly after Skillings resigns, then Sharon Watkins comes forward to blow the whistle on the company concerning them cooking the books. Now, Sharon had actually come forward previously in 1987 to say, hey, something looks a little weird here. You guys want to check it out?
1: Isn't that two years after the company started?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, And they said, oh, I'm sure it's just an accounting error. We'll get somebody to look at it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And waved her off. And it was Kenneth Lay that waved her off. And now it's him doing the same thing again. So she comes forward to Lay and says, hey, listen, something's seriously fucked with the books. And Mm -hmm. if we don't fix it, Enron is going down. Like, the whole company is going down. And Lay just ignores her and assures employees and the public that everything is good. And you should totally invest as much as you can in Enron.
1: And he he even told the employees, correct, that they should invest all their 401ks and stuff into Enron's stock.
0: To be fair, most of them were already that way because of how recommended the stock was, but yes. (laughs) Um, Shit. Yeah. So, uh, as this is occurring, Fastow gets fired, and the board finds out that he embezzled eh, $30 million from Enron using his shell companies. (gasps)
2: $30 million
0: once again, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, Yeah, when Fastow leaves... Enron's accountants go back and overwrite all of their books, erasing profits from 1997 through 2000, adding over $1 billion in debt, which makes the company look very unhealthy, and also removing $1 billion in shareholder equity in an attempt to remove the losses from fast-out shell companies. Despite Kenneth Lay's insistence otherwise, the company's stocks continued to decline, reaching a low of $0.24 per share before the company was forced to fire Chapter 11 bankruptcy.
1: So we went from $95.97.50. 9750 to, 20 to 24 cents. cents. Yep. So anyone who had invested in Enron is getting fucked.
0: That happened in less than five weeks.
2: This is, was in. Wow. This is in 2001. In November 2001.
0: Yep. That's when they declared Chapter 11. Okay.
1: And, and while they were declining, you were saying they were still like. You're like no, no no it's fine like invest in us invest in us exactly
0: it's just a hiccup everyone has a has one of those bad days
1: that's a that's like um what's the ride a- in Disney World that you go all the way down Splash Mountain has a Splash Mountain <laughs> level fault y'all
0: yikes so as a result of Enron's bankruptcy the bulk of their employees lose their savings 401ks and pensions individual investors lost roughly 1 billion dollars in value (laughs) oh yeah i thought
2: 1 billion was bad then you (laughs) say 11 yeah sorry
0: there's an additional one after that that i seem to have missed uh federal investigations from the fbi and other related agencies were conducted as a result of these investigations jeffrey skilling was convicted in 2006 for his crimes and sentenced to 24 years in prison good Five years ago, Skilling's sentence was lessened to just 14 years, and he left prison just recently in February 21st, 2020. You're I hope he gets the corona. Kenneth Lay was to be held accountable for his crimes in court, but he died in 2006 before he could be convicted. In my opinion, a miscarriage of justice. This man ruined thousands of lives and got less time than most bank robbers who have a flat 30 years as their minimum time.
1: So if I want to do a crime and get away with it, I just have to follow this. I'm going to call it the Skilling model.
0: Yeah.
2: except it's it's go big or go home and it's like (laughs) oh yeah i'm gonna rob a bank that's not big enough rob an entire state
0: (laughs) yes yeah um no silver linings to this story other than the government's enforcing stricter rules surrounding mark-to-market accounting and double checks such as the sarbanes-oxley act or socks s-o-x uh and other such rules Hmm. yeah um it, it was a gross miscarriage of justice a lot of people lost their lives it's a lot of fun uh, it livelihoods, not sound a lot not of fun. lives. <laughs> All right, that's my brief but not so brief overview of Enron. It was a shit show, and no one really got punished for it except the employees, as morally dubious as they may have been, and the investors. Woohoo! And the rest is uh, today.
1: Yeah, because uh, this is still not to this a uh, level that we know of. It's happening. still kind
2: of like affecting us, and it sucks.
1: Yeah, I mean it's still happening.
2: And since you said like it was a major like uh, crash from like ninety whatever dollars down to. 24 cents. 24 cents. I had to, uh, I, I decided to Google if uh, there was an increase in the suicide rate of that year. And since it happened in November 2001, there there was a spike in suicides, like a small spike of suicides in 2002.
1: Which we can't definitively say is based on this information, but we think it's an interesting tidbit.
0: Yeah, yeah. There, between Enron, there's some correlation <laughs> Yeah, Between Enron and the dot com bubble Crash a lot of people lost a lot Of their life savings So
1: so yeah uh, Thank you Alex for coming on and Giving us this very informative and a little Depressing topic we love that here at Fast Past.
2: yeah and, and although The episode went long it's because there's A lot of information to get through and that's Perfectly okay because if we cut Out any part of this
1: it wouldn't make sense
2: You're missing out on a the load of information.
1: And this is only on the company as a whole. I watched the documentary with Alex, which is why I asked him to do this. And the people themselves, like if we just did an episode on skilling and we just did an episode on lay or... Yeah. Like, like, or Lupi. I mean, it, it, it's its own story in itself. It's fucking wild what this did. So, if you are interested in learning more about this, I would suggest watching the documentary Enron Smartest Guys in the Room. Smartest yep. Person in the Room. Smartest Person in the Room.
0: No, Smartest Guys. Smartest, smartest guys, guys in the Room. Got
1: it. Um, <laughs> if you want to get sources for this episode to use in academic papers, um, please contact us via Email at fastpasspodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on Twitter. Please, dear God, DM me on Twitter at fastpass1. Please don't DM me if you're a sugar daddy, though. I've gotten those on our fastpass account.
0: Really? (laughs) Really? I was going to say maybe because you sound hella thirsty at the end of these.
1: (laughs) I'm thirsty for people to interact with me. Yeah, there they are. For information.
2: (laughs) We will gladly give you information. information. Don't DM (laughs) us about sketchy shit. I was
1: DMing asking. It was informational, right, Jay? Um, Oh God! And then also, if you want to make suggestions for future episodes, you can contact us at either one of those platforms as well. Jason and I are also in the midst of making a YouTube channel, so check us out on YouTube. It's just gonna be called Fast Past. I would look for the like more recent uploads because if you search us, it's really hard to find. But we're trying to not
2: that big yet. No,
1: but we're trying to break into that platform. I personally like to watch things and have pictures up there so i thought we could do that for you guys as well so yeah thank you for our first episode of april thank
0: you uh, alex for being here
1: thank you so much alex for being here
0: and i hope you all have a lovely day Buh-bye. bye